Hello and welcome to episode 101 of This Is Going Well, I Think, with David Cooper. I'm David Cooper. It's This Is Going Well, I Think, the show where no one's listening, no one cares, the show where every episode's the last episode. So let's get into this finale with therapist Gary Deerenfeld for a segment I like to call Therapy Thursdays on a Wednesday. Today's topic, kindness. How are you? I'm fine. Sorry to keep you waiting a minute or two. You were away or something? I had Thanksgiving here with 12 people. I cooked the dinner almost completely. My friend Allegra made the sweet potato dish. My girlfriend Miranda made the stuffing. But I did the duck. I did the salad. I did the potatoes. I did the green whoa, beans. Whoa, whoa, I did... whoa, 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 whoa. What? Duck. Duck, yeah. I love duck, and I haven't had it in a long time. Well, there's a reason people eat turkey only one time a year, because it's terrible. <laughs> I like turkey. No, you don't. I, I swear to God. Next thing you're going to tell me you like kale. No, I don't like kale. Okay, good. But we actually had turkey thighs a couple of nights ago. The thighs are good if they're done properly. Yeah. Although when I was a kid, my parents took me to whatever Disney blank was in uh, Tampa. Or is it Orlando? Orlando, Orlando. I don't know, Disney World, Disneyland, I don't know the difference. But my parents took me there, and there'd be these Americans walking around with these turkey legs. Oh, the, the leg. Yeah, <laughs> just gluttony. <laughs> Something out of the Flintstones. I know. It's, and I just have very negative associations with, with going there as a young Canadian boy and just watching the, the carnage that is America <laughs> as these families queued up to watch Mickey Mouse and eat their turkey legs. It was just too much for me. But no, that those are good. But the problem is when you put a whole bird in the oven, it's never cooked evenly. You haven't had mine. That's all I can say. Fine. But I have had a lot of other turkey. I don't mind cold cuts like, you know, sliced, whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I've had enough turkey in my life. But duck is, duck is, that's fantastic. That's great. Festive, special. I did 11 duck confis. You know, I, I did a good job with them. Everyone was happy. It's a Thanksgiving tradition for me because I'm not American, so I have no Thanksgiving traditions. I've only been doing this three years. I mean, I've been in the U.S. much longer, but I've only been hosting Thanksgiving for three years. So I had all kinds of people come in from out of country and out of town to visit. So it was just a, a quite the romp. That was my vacation. But no, I wasn't. I didn't really leave town. I guess I was in Toronto for like two days, but that's it. All right, random question for you, Gary. What's your full name? My first name is Ira. My middle name is Gary. Ira Gary Deerenfeld. Yeah, my I'm the youngest of three boys. The two older brothers didn't like the name Ira, so they only used Gary, and it stuck. Wait, you go by your name simply because your brothers did not care for your first name? Yeah. Okay, people have all these crazy origin stories about their nicknames, and for you, it's just, oh, my brothers didn't like my name. That's it. So they went, they went by my second name, and um, that's it. It is such a pain on documentation. It is such a pain crossing the border. You know, what is your name, Gary? Oh, wait a minute, it's Ira. And so, you know, 
in those official spaces, it screws things up if you go by your second name. Yeah. So, you know, crossing the border, I'm Ira. But that's the only time. Oh, and, and for some medical things, because on the on the health card, it's also Ira Gary Derenfeld. So I have to remember that if I go, go for blood work, they'll call out Ira, not Gary. You have any trouble crossing the border ever? Where I get into trouble is when I try and get a criminal reference check for volunteer work. Oh, you're getting spicy now. <laughs> every, every time. And um i went recently and it was again an issue but this time the person finally explained that i have the same birth date as a sex offender oh not i mean spicy for them but it's just a coincidence and so because of that they have to fingerprint me send it to the rcmp and see that i'm not that person you happen to have the same birthday, same fingerprint, and same name as a sex offender. Well, not same fingerprint, but the fingerprint differentiates. Same DNA. <laughs> uh, you actually went to jail at the same time as him for the same thing, but you're, it's definitely not you. Every time I go for a criminal reference check, I get flagged and I have to be fingerprinted. Well, it's somewhat spicy. My sister once, uh, well, we were, I was a kid at camp. And my camp counselor, who was 17 himself, I must have been 14, my counselor, we're all minors. And we're kids at summer camp. It's also the 90s. He takes a Polaroid of me naked, I, with my consent. We're, we're, we're kids at camp. This is like yeah, internet and is... And you're stupid kids. You're teens. Yeah, that's... Stupid kids. You know, uh, and then later maybe, he, I don't know, he's got it in a stack of Polaroids. A couple years later, he starts dating my sister which was fine. And then he decides he wants to gross out. This is like totally inappropriate, but normal inappropriate. He wants to, he's 19. I think my sister's 18. He wants to gross her out. And so he's like, here's a picture of your brother. It wasn't an overly sexual picture. I was just naked. And he shows that to my sister in her, um, in a car. And so what does she do? She's a normal human being, somewhat. I mean, she's related to me. How normal could she be? She's like, ew, gross. And she knocks it out of his hand. That's where the story ends. Well, not exactly. Not exactly how it ends. Ten years later, five years later, who knows? She's crossing the border. Oh, no. They're suspicious of her. Oh, no. So they start searching through her car, and they lift up the carpet where the spare tire is in the trunk or whatever, because it was like a, a hatchback or whatever. And then there's this child porn. And she's by then, she's like 23, 24 years old, like an adult almost. And, and I don't quite know the whole story, but the officer finds it, and he's like, what's this it's a photo of a minor naked anyway i guess because she's a woman or i guess maybe she was so flabbergasted as to her story was believable i don't know what but she tells the officer the whole complete truth sure they pull her over they hold her there for about an hour they tell her the seriousness of what's going on she just keeps apologizing and it is it is and then they, I don't know, I don't know if they give her the picture back or not, but they, they let her go. And that was that. They, no mark on her record or anything. But wild story, huh? Oh, my God. That is crazy. Yeah, yeah. So be careful. I mean, you could be, there are families that are on trips where they're naked and they take a family picture naked. Yeah. Here, here's what I was going to say. I have, from being a teenager, I have a picture as well of a friend of mine mooning someone just get rid of it i don't even know where it is at this point but i had that for years so with today's lens with today's you know looking at things 
that picture as well can be like, oh my God. And it's just stupid teenagers. Exactly. It's like no, totally normal stuff in the wrong hands with the wrong lens. Yeah. You go into jail with the right lens. It's just silly things kids do. Exactly. Yeah. That story is like a cautionary tale. It's just not worth it, you know? But that's a riot. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, she's, she could be in jail. Like, you know, <laughs> if she was a big old, you know, overweight white dude with no family in a greasy shirt and all that. It would have looked so, it would have landed so differently. <laughs> He'd be in prison to this day. <laughs> uh, anyway. So yeah, Danny, she, she said that you said there was something you wanted to cover. Well, she asked, you know, um, uh, do I have anything? And I had to think for a minute. And then I thought, uh, kindness, kindness. Um, and I, I posted a piece of a meme about that this morning. And it's just that if there is a common thread to the people that I see, it's that someone treated them unkindly who was important to them and, you know, read into whatever you want into unkindly, you know, typically very unkindly. But that is the common thread of why people come to see me. Would you say that's true of all social workers, all therapists, all psychiatrists? That's a common thread. People are responding to unkindness in their life and struggling with it. They may label it differently. They're going to label it, label it as abuse. They're coming for abuse. They're coming for trauma uh you know sexual abuse um uh, parental fighting parent you know parental alcoholism uh, uh mental health affecting um parenting and disposition it's just you know i just looked at it through a different lens they weren't kind um it could be a controlling individual it could be one's partner it could be somebody you know in the workplace it <coughs> excuse me it's that unkindness. People have been treated unkindly. Um, you know, sometimes that unkindly is on steroids. Look, I, I go to a, like a Freudian, Jungian, whatever psychiatrist. Right. And I, I, and I always have. The first time I started really seeing one in my adulthood was because my breakup with my ex-wife resulted in unkindness on both ends. But now I see one... Because I'm occasionally unkind to myself. I think this lens can be used to describe not just what you do, kind of social work, but also like any kind of therapy. Yeah, absolutely. When people are struggling with their own personal problems, it can be because they're unkind to themselves. So, you know, so often uh, in my work with people, we're unpacking the unkind acts to which one was treated or exposed and the influence of that on how we see ourselves and how we interact with others and how we manage on mental health. You know, I, I'm forever trying to impress upon people, be kind. Like, my mother is the same way. My, my, I'll tell you another mother story, my mother. Um, earlier this week, she got together with two women. These uh, are both nurses. They both worked at uh, Sunnybrook Hospital in the uh, um, uh, the care for um, veterans, veteran care. And uh, 
they took care of my stepdad who passed away nine years ago. A couple of weeks ago, they get in touch with my mother saying, we'd like to pay you a visit. Like, who does that? And these two nurses, lovely, lovely women, they want to get in touch with my mom because she treated them so kindly as they were caring for my stepdad. Uh, my mom lives this. Just, just be kind. She would bring them a coffee. She would express her gratitude for their care for uh, stepdad, uh, Max. Um, my mom is a very kind person. She's not a pushover. She's not a patsy. She doesn't, you know, get taken advantage of, quite frankly. She has boundaries. But she's also kind. And, you know, people appreciate that appreciate that to to their core and that is what's healing in a therapeutic relationship that's the holy grail we look for in our intimate relationships just be kind it's not enough to not be an asshole <laughs> that's a low bar <laughs> don't be an asshole but actually be kind go out of your way do something for the other um, uh, elevate them. Uh, you know, uh, we've talked about narcissists in the past. I'm not talking about, you know, how this works with the narcissist. I'm just, just talking about basic. And even if you're living with a narcissist and they're an asshole, can be an asshole, you can still be kind. You still have to learn how to live or not live with them and manage that. But we don't want to let the behavior of another influence whether or not we're still going to be kind. And when someone's a complete jerk to you, the only thing you can control, really have complete 100% control of in a situation with a jerk, narcissist, asshole, whatever, is your own behavior. That's, that's it. And so I don't want to be, I, I'll tell you a personal story. Um, 1989, I was working at Shadok McMaster Hospitals in the, their uh, brain injury rehabilitation program. And I had to work with a very not nice colleague. How's that for framing it? Uh, a would-be psychologist who practice uh, a lot of punishment and aversion therapy. So if somebody was acting out, his thing was to consequence them and he wouldn't think twice about uh, um, very intrusive interventions um, I was bringing this to the attention of the administration because I saw his behavior as abusive and his treatment as abusive I I don't have an issue with restraining people if they need to be restrained however for a treatment plan we go through an ethics committee we make sure that we haven't you know left any other stone unturned we're working in a multidisciplinary team maybe the behavior is related to pain or to a speech language problem or to a neurological issue such as an epileptic uh, circumstance anyways he only wanted to punish people and um i was complaining about this and complaining and complaining finally the neurologist resigns i said hey neurologist instead of resigning why don't you complain and she said and i said you know i am and she looked at me she said everyone knows you are everyone and then she said when you get in the mud with the pigs we can't tell the pigs apart oh 
My God, she didn't say much to me, but what she had to say was very impactful. I happened to hand my resina- resignation in uh, probably that day because uh, I wasn't going to work in those circumstances and be aligned with, with what was going on. Uh, I will tell you that three years later, you know, patients or families had sued the hospital. The hospital finally settled quietly. I was the whistleblower, and that was when I was validated for what had transpired, and that would-be psychologist actually wasn't a psychologist. He was a PhD in phys ed. No one did a credential check. Son of a gun. Yeah, it, it was a mess. Anyways. But by complaining every day that co- colleagues said to you, you were appearing like him, you're in the gutter with him. Correct. So what would have been looking back with the benefit of hindsight? Exactly. How do I act kindly? How do I manage myself in the circumstances? I'm not going to get into the mud. And I may bring information to someone uh, trying to hopefully resolve things well and peacefully. But I've also learned that if it's not going to be hurt, I have to be careful not to escalate. Because now I may look untoward in my delivery. Sure. So, you know, how did we get here? I've been talking about kindness. Yes. Yeah. Um, we all can fall prey. We can all go down rabbit holes, myself included. But when the light bulb turns on, it's kindness that is really going to elevate us and managing ourselves regardless of the circumstance. And, and you know, you had, you had said it's about us managing ourselves. So part of what I just went through with you was in response to that. Um, when, you know, COVID hit everyone hard, we're still recovering from that. And during COVID, if I went into a grocery store and if I, you know, bought some stuff, which I I did do, I would always ask the, uh, cashier, um, how are people treating you today? I'd show them some kindness. I'd, I'd show them some empathy. And I was really sincere. How are they? Tra-? And she said, oh, yeah, no, 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 no. said, okay, well, I can only hope you have a better day. And, you know, they were so appreciative that someone asked them how they were, period. Yeah, I believe it. Gary, let me pause. Miranda wants to come in here. Uh, sure. I'm just mentally taking a bookmark. We're talking about how you and cashiers at uh, during COVID. Yeah. Miranda? Do you need to get in here? Yeah, I'm pause. I I, uh, I pause the taping. Come on in. Yeah. I'm, I'm not emergency. It's fine. It's oh, just scary. To open the blinds. Have a good day. I'm sorry. No, it's okay. I know. I mean, it's just that it's not a big deal at all. <laughs> She's like so worried. I'm like, no, it's fine. I remember my um. All good. I remember. I mean, this might relate to the interview, so I might keep this. But I remember I was once in my aunt's house. Um. We were talking about building her a website. I should be careful because my aunt passed and she was a lovely woman. But okay. we're talking about building her a website for some company that she had that was a small, very small company that didn't last very long. And her son called and she just said, I'm in an important meeting right now and hung up on her son. And I was like, oh, no, I can't. Treat I, I think people sometimes treat their family like that when they're at work, no matter the seriousness of the work, they don't have time for them. And I just I don't I don't want to be that. And so I was like, we can pause this taping. It's not a big deal. It's not like I'm I'm on the taping with Obama. No offense, Gary, but you know what I'm saying? <laughs> it, you know, it's funny you say that. My wife 
has never interrupted a session of mine. Never. This morning, I'm in, in a meeting with someone, a session, and I guess there was a lull in our conversation because we were both looking at something uh, on the internet relative to what we were talking about. We were doing a bit of research. And so my wife, it was quiet. She knocks on the door thinking that I had finished. And she certainly doesn't see the Zoom screen because I'm on Google reading something. And I go, oh, dear, I'm, I'm still with someone. And she was mortified because she's never done that. But I'm, I'm not going to treat her rudely or discourteously, regardless of how important it is that I not be interrupted when I'm with a client. No issue. So this, this, this topic of kindness and, you know, do keep that interruption in our discussion. Yeah, <laughs> I'm going to. But where we were was you chatting with folks uh, during the pandemic who were not doing so hot service workers. Correct. Correct. So whether it's our loved one and we're intruded upon, they're not looking to truly create havoc or problems for us. We have to manage our triggers. We have to be mindful of the experience of the other so that we can continue to bring our better selves to them, regardless of the duress. That's the work. That's the work to being a, a decent human being. And we can't use excuses. Oh, they did this, so I'm going to do that. They can do this till the cows come home. I don't want to be a jerk or an asshole. And not being a jerk, not being an asshole, doesn't mean I don't have boundaries either. So you can be kind, yet still have the boundaries. You know, sorry, that's not going to work for me. I can't participate in that. And I don't, right? That's a boundary. But I'm, I don't need to demean, push back, or be harsh. I just have to be clear, unequivocal, and firm. Kindness. And if your boundaries aren't for that other person, they, that's, that's a discussion, but you're entitled to them. Absolutely. I have been wanting to sandwich in an anecdote ever since you mentioned your mother. Okay. Because my grandmother in her last few years had a... Uh, Health, uh, healthcare worker, or what's the word I'm looking for? A caregiver, caregiver. Okay. Uh, who came in, you know, I think almost every day by the end. And every Passover, was it? My grandmother had a brisket that she always would bring. And in her last few years, she simply could not make a brisket. She couldn't lift the thing up, even though it was a five-pounder. <laughs> she was probably five pounds herself in her final days. She was a tiny woman. This is such a Jewish discussion yeah, she, right now. <laughs> I know. It's so Jewy. I thought you'd like it. <laughs> I, lo I love it. I so relate. <laughs> you know, I can just imagine my two foot eight grandmother, who was probably two foot ten in her prime, you know, <laughs> hovel hoveling over the, the baking pan, making this brisket. So later I came to learn that the uh, her caregiver actually in her last couple of years helped her with the brisket because it was you know she she was not terribly mobile but making this brisket and coming to Passover was very important to her so after she died we got a ring on the doorbell on Passover at my parents house and there was her caregiver with the fucking brisket because by the end of it she knew the recipe better than my grandmother oh my god God. She wanted to surprise us. Oh. And I we were all in tears. Just without even no discussion. Just Oh. I'm ready to be in tears just hearing that 
lovely story. It's kindness on both ends. I don't even need to tell you how kind and loving my grandmother was. She made everyone call her Bubby, which for those who don't know is like Jewy, Yiddish, Hebrew, I don't know, for grandmother. And so the idea that she made her caregiver call her Bubby is just like so <laughs> funny to me. But um, she was born, yeah, she was great. But, but she was very kind. But also the, the, that caregiver was very kind. And uh, it was, yeah, just a, a lovely vignette. And, and your story about your mother made me think of it. I, well, I'm, I'm glad to have brought that uh, recollection back to you. So yeah, you, you said what I want to talk about today: uh, kindness. It, it, in some ways, it seems so trite, and it seems so fluffy. It's kind of hard to stay here because it's so simple, but people struggle with it so much. Yeah, yeah, and it's more than not being an asshole. It is a, a positive thing to do to be present for somebody, to hold space for them, to allow them their, their feelings and emotions, while you may sit with your own discomfort, having to hear that. All of this is kindness. And the degree to which we can practice that, we bring it into our lives, not always by the behavior of the other, but by our own. And we can feel good about ourselves for having having remembered just to be kind so yeah that's all i wanted to talk about today no i'm glad we it's a simple topic it's a simple lesson i'm glad we stayed here i kept wanting to get distracted from it because it feels like to me all there is to it is be kind but there's so much more to it why do people struggle to be kind or is that a question for the for the therapist chair? That's too big. A, like, what are the common reasons people might struggle to be kind to others? They haven't experienced it themselves, or they haven't experienced it consistently, or they've been treated so unkindly that that they're out of touch with that. It is not part of their go-to. It's not part of their norm. And <clears throat> to help people to be kind, to, to, to do that for them is a paradigm shift in their thinking. Which is hard work. Being kind can be hard work. Many people will confuse kindness with not having boundaries. And that's, that's just not that you're allowed to be kind and you're allowed to have bound, boundaries. Um, being self-protective is not being hurtful to another. If they appear hurt, it's because they can no longer exploit or hurt you. Um, and so, so kindness doesn't mean you have to tolerate abuse or untoward behavior. It just means you don't have to act similarly. Okay, well, I always think it's so kind that you come here and do the show with me because I'm probably the most annoying person in the world. <laughs> and and uh, David, we're entering the holiday season. Many people struggle with the holiday season because of the unkind behavior of others at gatherings. So, you know, you can set boundaries. You can say you're not going. That's reasonable if you feel that that is necessary for your self-protection, for your safety. You can go and you can have a safe word such that if you utter it, you and your partner and family can take leave with no fanfare, just take leave. Uh, and if you do go and there's a uh, behavior that's triggering, be mindful how you want to manage yourself and that you don't want to escalate uh, 
And uh, the kindest thing that you can do is self-regulate, manage your own feelings, your own behavior. So bring this concept of kindness into the spirit of the holiday season. Yeah, it's funny. I, I do that now. I regulate my own behavior. Um, and I, I don't have a problem with the holidays now. But when I was younger, I felt my family situation was pretty dysfunctional. I felt very lonely. There was a real seasonality to my mood states. I now understand that as a seasonal affective disorder. But as a kid, I didn't know that. So I felt lonely. I had a lot of negativity in me around the holidays. And then all the pressure to have like the hallmark holiday season and, and all the pressure of observing what all my friends and, and peers seem to be doing and what their family seemed to be doing, having these perfect, not dysfunctional, lovely, caring, supportive gatherings. So it was like the pressure to be part of something where you felt like you belong and plus not feeling like I belonged led to a really rough holiday season for me. And it was, yeah, tough to be kind to myself, tough to be kind to others. I still struggle because my girlfriend loves Christmas with all her heart, and I do not. I think because of what I just told you. But here we are, we get the 175-foot Christmas tree. Now it's six feet in the house. <laughs> you know, there's stockings. I got to fly down to San Diego to... I get to fly down <laughs> to be with her family. And it's just, it's a lot, but I, I, I know I can control my own behavior. So look... In that moment, David, manage the discomfort, yet you can look and take joy mm -hmm. in their pleasure. Yes. That's a kindness. And take part in it. But I'm just saying I get it when others have a tough time around the holidays because I used to have it too. And it's that pressure. It's like on New Year's Eve, there's pressure to be on the best party. Maybe not for you. You're comfortable in your own skin. But for, <laughs> for young people in your 30s, in your 20s, there's a lot of pressure to be somewhere great on New Year's. And if you're home alone and you feel like you have no friends, like there's, it's not only are you feeling lonely, there's just so much pressure to do something some way. And the holidays have that for family gatherings. And so for those who don't have that for whatever reason... It can be tough, and, and I think what we're talking about now, staying kind to yourself, to others, is important if, if you're feeling this way during the holidays. But it's a normal thing, and I, I get it because I used to feel this way. Yeah. So, you know, do a kindness to yourself. Enjoy something. You're allowed. You're allowed to enjoy. You're allowed to be kind to yourself. But the great Jewish dilemma is the things I enjoy doing is being miserable. <laughs> So it's, a, it's an awful self-fulfilling, I like being miserable, so I have to be unhappy, but the only way I'm going to be uh, happy is if I'm miserable, which means I have to be unhappy. It's a vicious cycle, Gary. Vicious. <laughs> we'll unpack that another time. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for coming here. I do appreciate your time, as always. And if I don't see you, merry whatever, happy whatever. Yeah, you too. It's great to see you again. Oh, you're so kind. <laughs>